Hi, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of Blooming Intelligence Tech Disruptors podcast. My name is Anurag Grana, and I'm a technology analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence, Bloomberg's in-house research arm. We are delighted to have Tom Egemeyer as our guest today, who's the CEO of Zendesk. Tom, um, before we really get into the company details, how about a bit of a background of yourself and how you ended up as the CEO of uh, Zendesk? Well, thanks, Anurag, for having me uh, on your podcast. And I'm impressed you got Egemeyer right. Uh, it's probably one in a hundred. Uh, they get the last name uh, pronounced correctly. So well done there. Um, I, I probably have an atypical background. Um, I was a uh, history major at university, uh, focused on European studies and uh, moved out to Silicon. I was a lawyer, actually, for about a year, no longer a lawyer. But I moved out to Silicon Valley in 1998, um, a bunch of happenstance. Uh, in that and really just fell in love with the tech uh, and software industries. Um, I was um, I joined uh, Zendesk maybe in a, a securitous, securitous route as well. I was um, first at Genesis, another contact center customer service um, software company for a long time. And then I joined the private equity firm of Premira. And um, Premira and Hellman and Friedman uh, purchased Zendesk. I joined uh, Zendesk as interim CEO, intending to go back to Premira, uh, but I first, you know, just fell in love with Zendesk customers. They're just so passionate about Zendesk, so passionate about customer experience. Um, I love the employee base. Again, really smart people that really wanted to solve customers and our customers' customers' problems. And I had been in the customer experience space with Genesis and now Zendesk for most of the last 15, 20 years. And so I just loved the ability to impact, you know, uh, poor and positive experiences uh, consumers and, uh, you know, business people were having with uh, companies. And so uh, even though I was interim, I raised my hand after a while and said, uh, if they had had me, I wanted to stay at Zendesk. That's, that is interesting. You know, um, we, we used to look at Zendesk before it was trading as a public company, but perhaps for our listeners who are, uh, you know, joining us after some time about Zendesk, perhaps tell us a little bit about, you know, what end markets Zendesk is disrupting and, uh, you know, what a kind of business it's in right now. Sure. Zendesk is a customer service, customer experience software company. So for companies that have to deal with uh, their employees, uh, not even deal, they want to deal with their employees or want to have great experiences with their customers, Zendesk um, makes sure that there's customer service software to support those interactions in a personalized manner. So if you send an email, uh, send a message, uh, you make a call uh, into a company, uh, a lot of times Zendesk is going to be powering that interaction, um, giving information that you allow as a consumer uh, to uh, the company and uh, making sure the company gets the right person uh, or now, you know, the right bot uh, or the right information to you to go solve your probably problem or hopefully, you know, help you with an opportunity to go interact better with. So, the you know, perhaps, uh, you know, just on the uh, the market itself. Now, I've heard a fair amount of uh, word that uh, a majority of the software that drives the customer experience and the customer, uh, um, you know, incoming calls related area is driven so so much by, you know, in-house developed software. Perhaps, uh, you know, give us some uh, insight about the, the, the market, how big it is and who are the players, et cetera. Would, would love to understand that also a little bit. Sure. 
The market in customer experience uh, software is expected to reach about 85 billion U.S. dollars by 2025, uh, with 80% of leaders planning to increase their customer service budgets over the next years. And I think one of the reasons for that is, um, particularly in you know more challenging macroeconomic times, uh, companies really know that they've just got to. Uh, really keep their current customers and try to go get new ones. And those current customers are so, so important. And that's why people are trying to you know, replicate that almost former bricks and mortar customer experience that uh, consumers used to have with the you know, corner grocery store uh, and an online world. You know, so it matters, um, you know, for all of us to, you know, interact with businesses, you know, whether we're getting a product or service and have a personalized service. And so, you know, if those experiences don't go well, it can ruin your day. Um, I'll tell you recently, um, my wife and I uh, bought some concert tickets and uh, unfortunately, we're not able to go to the concert. And so we uh, sold the tickets on, um, you know, one of the, um, you know, resale platforms. Uh, and, you know, we broke even. Uh, so we like that. Uh, but we're having trouble getting the concert tickets uh, from uh, the, 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 the initial buyer to go sell them uh, and deliver them to the uh, people we sold them to. And it's just been we've probably spent 10 or 15 hours on this uh, over the past couple of weeks. And it's just been an incredibly frustrating experience. Uh, luckily, this company didn't have uh, Zendesk as their uh, customer service platform. Uh, but that's just an example where more and more things are going online. Uh, right now, a little more than 15% of the world's commerce is e-commerce. Uh, 85% approximately is still bricks and mortar. And so as more interactions go online, you know, we want to try to help companies replicate that personalized customer service they used to get at their corner grocery store. So a little back to the future. And that's why um, the, um, the industry is, you know, continue to grow very quickly. It's a big market. Uh, and as you said, there's, uh, you know, a more and more of a move away from homegrown solutions to more mature, you know, sy systematic solutions that can solve consumers' uh, problems when they're dealing with companies. So, you know, what is your sweet spot in terms of the end uh, market uh, you target? You know, who's your typical customer? And, uh, you know, at any given point, who are you replacing? So our typical customer, um, we have two lines of business. One, we're talking a lot about this customer um, service business. And then we do have about 20% of our company is uh, based on employee experience. So that's uh, employees uh, making sure they're onboarded with HR well, they know how to get their benefits, they contact an IT help desk, or they look at IT asset management. But the vast majority of our business is talking to chief revenue officers, chief customer service officers uh, in small, medium, and large companies uh, that want to provide a better service to their customers, that really care about net promoter score or customer satisfaction score. And when we talk to them, one of the reasons that they're drawn to Zendesk is they think they, with Zendesk, and we believe they can too, because we have hundreds of thousands of customers, over 100,000 customers, and a ton of great experiences where companies can increase their customer satisfaction, number one. Number two, they can do it more cost effectively than they're doing it right now. And number three, they can go help drive uh, more revenue uh, and more stickiness uh, retention with their customers because they're giving a more personalized service. So typically, chief customer service officers, chief customer officers, uh, chief revenue officers are, are mostly 
our um, you know client, our, our the buyers at our customers, and it's every every customer from small, medium to large enterprises, uh, and it is uh, customers around the world. We do about fifty percent of our business in North America, and fifty percent in the majority of the world, and it's across all industries. So I heard a couple of very interesting data points, and perhaps we can dive into it. Uh, one is hundred thousand customers. So perhaps you know, take us through a life cycle as to how you onboard one particular customer and over time, how do they grow with you uh, in terms of either use cases or enhancing the, uh, you know, the depth of the product? Uh, uh, because I would love to understand the key growth drivers of your company. Um, you know, either it's increased revenue spent by a particular customer or is it always new account acquisition? It's a, it's a great question. Usually our customers uh, start small, whether they're a large enterprise, we might get a department uh, in an enterprise that wants to uh, transform their customer experience. They're not happy how the whole company is doing, so they want to try it a new way. Or, you know, we've done very well, quite frankly, in the tech sector where uh, companies have started as small startups and they've grown to some of the largest brands uh, in the world, you know, worth tens of billions of dollars and having you know, uh, millions of interactions and, you know, tens of millions of interactions with their customers. And so we often start small, sometimes even online, where customers uh, go through a proof of concept. Uh, they trial our software uh, without inter uh, interacting with any human being at Zendesk uh, is a lot of where we start our customers. Uh, they have this journey where um, our, one of the great things about our software is it's very intuitive. Uh, I often tell people, even as a former uh, history major with a law degree, that uh, I can implement the software very quickly. If I was a user, I can understand how to get uh, an agent, uh, a customer support agent. I can understand how to get the best out of the software very quickly. It's intuitive. We give suggestions to um, to agents on you know how they best can solve customer problems uh, through AI and through other means. Uh, and as an administrator uh, running the software, again, um, one of our big value propositions is we're easy to implement, we're easy to use, and we're easy to show value uh, that they're driving. So customers see, hey, I'm getting a lot of value here. I'm increasing my um, net promoter score with my customers. I'm decreasing my cost and I'm increasing my stickiness. And so they start rolling it out. Uh, to, you know, from the department for large companies throughout the company, from small companies, we love to grow uh, with, uh, you know, small businesses. Um, you know, for me, um, two of my uh, grandparents were small business owners in Covington, Kentucky. Uh, one of them uh, owned Sheridan Plumbing and the other owned uh, Knazel Food Mart, uh, a little uh, market, a little uh, corner grocery store. And so, you know, we not only want to uh, give that evolution to, um, large companies that we value, but we also cherish the small companies, uh, you know, the mom and pop stores, uh, you know, that's really deeply embedded uh, with me to make sure that they can give online the same kind of customer service that my grandparents would have given, uh, you know, face to face uh, with their customers, whether at that corner grocery store or whether, uh, you know, uh, as a small plumbing uh, company. And that's the real value of Zendesk. You can kind of replicate and personalize that kind of customer service from an online perspective uh, when customers go through this journey. Uh, so it's not just new customers. We really like to keep our current customers and we like to expand with them. So it'll be interesting to um, maybe perhaps get a you know real life example without naming a customer that 
you know, what, what is the average size of your customer in terms of either the number of employees or the revenue base and over time, how that customer grows with you? Because I think for any cloud-based company, um, the, you know, the net new ACV or the annual contract value that comes from existing customers is an important metric to look at. Sure. And so um, we really have uh, customers that have everything from, you know, a handful or less of seats uh, because they're small businesses to we have customers that have uh, over, you know, 100,000 employees and they have um, over 10,000 seats with us. So we really, you know, we're a horizontal uh, customer experience platform that truly serves the smallest of small businesses that, again, are really important in some of the largest Fortune 500 companies around uh, around the world. And, you know, how they grow with us is um, they generally expand. And so traditionally, we've had great uh, net retention, uh, NRR, uh, because uh, customers start small, they expand with us over time. Uh, and so I, I'm not trying to uh, fight the premise of the question, but it's just, you know, average or median. Uh, we've just got customers um, all over the map in a great way because, again, people like to get up to speed very quickly with Zendesk. And so a typical customer journey is they expand a lot. Traditionally, we've had uh, NRR, you know, of 115, 120% plus uh, because uh, customers start small and continue to expand. And they also are starting to add um, a lot of our different products. Uh, we launched recently um, a workforce management product. Uh, that is helps customers uh, that have, as you mentioned before, homegrown solutions schedule their um, employees better. Because one of the things when you're doing customer support is you might not anticipate just on a spreadsheet a rush of um, um, you know customer interactions that are going to come, or you might have some slow times. And we've got some advanced algorithms through our time shift acquisition that can help you schedule. Uh, uh, employees better and also help them train them better and help them get better performance management. And we've also recently launched um, some more AI solutions in May of this year than last last week. Uh, and I don't know when this podcast is going to come out, so I should say uh, in early October that helps automate different workflows. And that's how our customers grow. Um, and then also how help, helps uh, agents um, do their jobs better uh, to give better employee satisfaction and to give better customer satisfaction. One of the interesting things when companies are growing uh, with us um, is that they have better employee retention. And um, that's one of the reasons we have such good NRR uh, traditionally. And um, one of the you know maybe uh, bad facts about the customer service industry is on average, um, um, customer service employees turn over every year. So there's 100% turnover in customer service reps on average every year. Uh, and we believe with implementing the Zendesk solution, uh, we give a better employee experience. And so if you're able to retain those employees, uh, those employees um, stay longer, they have better knowledge about the customer, they have more empathy for the customer, and they know how to solve their problems better, uh, which gives you a virtuous cycle with you know better customer experience. And so we've got a lot of different customers uh, sizes. They generally grow with us over time by adding more seats because they expand from maybe a small pilot to larger. Um, and then they add different uh, parts of our solution set as well. Uh, so I'm assuming that you get, uh, you know, paid on a per seat basis, uh, you know, with that mindset or with that framework, 
um, the recent decline in headcount in the tech industry, how has that impacted you, uh, and, you know, and your growth prospects? Sure. Um, we've, you know, weathered, uh, we're a 15 year old company. Um, you know, Mikkel, the founder just did a phenomenal job growing the company and, um, and we'll finish this year about, a you know, 1.8 billion approximately in ARR. And there's ups and downs trends, uh, in the technology industry, but we serve all verticals, uh, and, you know, people, even in a downturn, are absolutely keeping with our value proposition of they need to get better customer experience, they need to do it at a lower cost, uh, and they need uh, customer service to go help drive revenue. And so uh, we've seen a little bit of slowdown, the whole industry has, on people adding seats. However, um, you know, we have seen a big uptick in, you know, AI. Uh, it, uh, it is a, it's not a fad. It's something that's going to stay in customer service for the mid to long term. And so we see the market moving from a seats-based only market to some kind of hybrid market of seats uh, and consumption-based um, um, consumption um, pricing models because it is going to be uh, about uh, you know, solving interactions in an automated way um, in, in a go-forward basis. And so um, we're seeing the impact of C, you know, we're seeing the impact of the macro economic conditions, particularly in tech, make people think about how they can go change their customer service uh, and make their agents more efficient and effective, but also in a very personalized, quick way, solve customers, uh, you know, problems and opportunities through automation. I know as a consumer, you know, I would love to be delighted, but the first thing that I want is my, you know, problem. It's usually a problem when I'm contacting a company solved efficiently quickly and easily. It's like the easy button. And so I'm seeing a big uptick in companies thinking about how they use automation, whether that's, you know, neural networks, large language models, you know, just plain old rules automation to go give that easy button to their uh, customers, their consumers, that they can solve problems quickly. Um, I think that over time that's going to have, you know, maybe a, you know, flattish or maybe agent, you know, the number of agents is going to go down. Uh, but I think most companies like Zendesk uh, and most companies in customer service are moving from a pure agent, you know, um, pricing model to a agent and interaction pricing model. That's all going to be about, um, you know, not just having interaction pricing, but also it's going to be about like solved case, solved customer issue uh, interaction pricing. Very, very much how Amazon uh, looks at a lot of its things. So that's that's very interesting. Um, you just mentioned that uh, you know your revenue split 50-50 between the U.S. and international, uh, which was a which is a bit uh, uh, you know anomaly for me because uh, this is usually what I find in very large software companies. You know, companies your size normally don't have more than 25-30% of their revenue outside the U.S. So, any special reason for um, this uh, you know balanced uh, you know revenue breakdown? Yes. Um... I first give all the credit to Mikkel, um, our founder, him and a, a couple of co-founders, you know, uh, were born uh, and started the company in Denmark. And so I think it's always had a international focus uh, on solving not just North American customer service problems, but, you know, majority of the world. And, you know, the company we really talk, I, I don't like the term rest of the world because it seems to say a primacy of North America or the U.S. It's really 
North America and the majority of the world. And so we've always had um, a very big focus since the founding with Mikkel and his co-founders of making sure that we solve customer issues around the globe. With the globe, you know, becoming increasingly small uh, with international travel, international commerce going on, um, I think that's served us well because a lot of our customers, uh, we again, we love still the, uh, you know, the small businesses that are only U.S. focused, but we also love, you know, medium and larger businesses that are, you know, doing business around the world. And they look for brands like Zendesk to be able to solve uh, their customers' problems no matter where they are in the world. So uh, on this one, I give a lot of credit to Mikkel. Uh, and his co-founders, they built a culture of uh, global, built a culture of international. We have about almost 50% of our employees as well uh, in the majority of the world and 50% in North America. And I think that um, international flavor uh, gives us a really, really good perspective because um, I always tell people that, you know, business is about 80% the same around the world, but the 20% makes a big difference. Um my family and I lived in uh, Paris, France from about uh, 2006, seven to 2011. And, um, you know, that really had a big impact on me on how I saw customer service. Uh, I don't believe it when someone says it's completely different here. Uh, you know, all human beings with behavior share some basic characteristics. But on the other hand, you know, how you give customer service in France versus how you give in customer service in the U.S. is different. And that last 20 percent can make the the, uh, the the big difference in giving a great experience or a bad experience. And I think uh, that's a core competence of Zendesk, that international global perspective. And again, all the credit goes to Mikkel uh, and the culture he created around, uh, you know, recognizing uh, the similarities and differences in providing customer service around the globe. Answer is very, very good answer, um, Tom. I'm going to start thinking about in that framework also. Um, it seems to me that the SMB market is is, you know, either in a little bit of a downturn or, you know, will likely go through that given the, the, the rising interest rates, you know, what are you seeing from your clients in the small and medium businesses? Um, we follow a couple of other companies, you know, DocuSign and Shopify that also have a large exposure in that place. So, you know, please give us an update on uh, um, how that segment is, is, is faring. Yeah, unfortunately, I think um, small and medium businesses are the first to often the first to um, feel the impacts of, you know, deteriorating macroeconomic conditions. And, you know, our customers are feeling that for sure. Our small and medium customers, uh, you know, particularly in the tech sector, uh, like like you mentioned, but, you know, really in all sectors, whether you're talking about, you know, the German, you know, Mittelstadt uh, or other places around the world they're feeling that pressure uh, with inflation rising, as you mentioned, uh, with, um, you know, spending slowing down, people scrutinizing the bottom line. The positive side of that is usually those small and medium businesses are the first to recover. Uh, you know, once we get through, you know, some challenging or more challenging macroeconomic times. And so those customers are asking us, you know, how do we engage with our, our customers? So it's our Zendesk is customers, customers, in a more effective and efficient manner. How can we, uh, even if we're growing the company, maybe a little slower than we have in the past, you know, how can we save money through uh, automation while keeping that same kind of personalized customer service uh, that we have in the past? And so uh, we're definitely seeing it with our small and medium customers. They're, uh, you know, feeling the macroeconomic conditions, I would tell you, even a little more in Europe uh, than in North America right now. Uh, and But pretty consistent around the globe, 
they're asking themselves, you know, how can I do more with less right now? How can I go leverage AI to continue to give that great personal experience, but at a better cost point? And how do I keep my current customers and, you know, emerge uh, when, you know, the economic conditions get better, um, even stronger versus my competition? And I think one of the great things about customer service is they recognize that, you know, poor customer service can lead to, um, you know, poor customer experiences, which those customers leave you. And so we see a continued investment in customer service, even in downturns, you know, but we want to make sure that we're helping um, our small and medium businesses, you know, get through the downturn and emerge even stronger uh, when the economy recovers. Uh, That's a fair point. So who are your primary competitors in the space? Um, You know, does it vary by different geography or you typically run into the same kind of players, uh, both in the both in North America and international? I think we uh, there's a bunch of players in the customer service and customer experience. You know, my take is over the next five, 10 years you're going to see a lot of consolidation. Um, there's players in, that are traditional voice contact center players that we see you know, rarely, but I think we will continue to see them more. There's people in what's called the workforce optimization space. That's that WFM scheduling um, space. That's that quality assessment space. So in the voice contact center space, uh, you see coopetition. Um, right now, but we, you know, usually complement those uh, players, people like um, Nice in Contact, Amazon Connect, Cisco Avaya, uh, Five Nines, TalkDesk, UJet, Aircall. There's a bunch of players in there that, you know, 95% plus of the time, um, you know, we, uh, you know, um, uh, complement. Um, you see players like Nice and Varant and others uh, in that uh, WFO space. And then in our traditional space of messaging, ticketing, service cloud, the two people that we see the most are um, uh, Salesforce and Freshworks. And then in that HR and IT space uh, that we're playing in, the two people that we see the most are Freshworks and uh, uh, ServiceNow. Uh, but like I said, I think this uh, space is going to consolidate over time because customers are looking for whether you're providing AI through bots and other means, or you're uh, connecting uh, your customers to their consumers or you know their employees or their business consu- uh, customers um, through an agent, they want a unified customer experience, whether you're talking ticketing, messaging, digital, digital channels, voice, how you enhance those agents, how you um, solve as many customer problems in an automated perspective through AI. So we really see, um, you know, all these different customer experience, uh, customer service, you know, software adjacencies likely will come together over time. Fair point. You know, I remember uh, around the time when uh, Zendesk was being acquired or were taking private, there were some challenges in terms of billings growth and bookings uh, slow down. You know, since then, what were some of the changes that you brought about, um, you know, to undo or, or to repair that? Yeah, I, I, I think, again, um, Mikkel and the management team did a really uh, fantastic job. Um, uh, there was a little bit of a slowdown in the company, um, and I think it was more to do with, you know, macroeconomic growth. You know, I'm convinced um, the company is, you know, um, at least keeping market share relatively flat compared to its competitors, if not growing market share. And so some of the things that we've done is, um, you know, we're focused on, profitable growth. We think that's the right thing for our employees. 
right thing for our shareholders and right thing for our customers mid to long term. And so, you know, we expect in 2023, we're still going to grow at our ARR uh, in double digits um, and, um, you know, continuing the, the strong momentum that we've had over the past 15 years. Uh, we think we're going to be, you know, flat to up in market share. And so we've focused on a couple things to continue, you know, to build upon that great foundation uh, that we've had over the past 15 years. Number one, um, we have really um, tried to step up our innovation game by putting more capacity into R&D. I truly believe, you know, software uh, is over time about innovating uh, providing great solutions to your customers. And if you're able to do that, you're going to continue to grow. And so um, we were able to launch this year. And a, a lot of this was before my time that the, uh, the team was working on this. So I do want to give credit uh, to you know Mickle and the prior management team. We launched uh, in May uh, some AI solutions uh, in July, or June, July. We acquired TimeShift, a WFM company, uh, and then in October, we launched another set of AI solutions uh, and some data and privacy solutions because data, privacy, trust is just a core component of uh, customer service and a core component of the move to AI. So innovation is number one that we're really focused on uh, as, a, as, as a team. Number two, we're focused on um, providing um, customer experience and employee experience expertise to our customers. Because again, with the economic slowdown, they're asking how I can do more with less. How can I optimize my software? But it's not just about the software. It's about how they can interact better with their customers uh, to retain them and to grow them. And so we've put a big focus over the past year on upping our game um, and interacting better with our customers from a customer experience uh, perspective of giving them customer and employee experience expertise uh, and really trying to put our customers uh, at the center of everything we do. So our third big initiative is how we uh, make sure that our customers are first. Uh, as an employee, as a customer and employee experience company, uh, we need to continue to up our game to provide the best customer service we potentially can. Uh, we're not all the way there, quite frankly, where we want to be. Um, uh, providing perfect customer service to our 100,000 customers. And it's a mantra that I continually talk to our employees about and our customers that we need to have that customer and employee expertise and we need to provide fast, fa fast, efficient, um, and really great customer service to our customers. And so those are the, some of the things that we're focused on to continue, you know, that double digit growth uh, and, you know, uh, experience that we have a great foundation on. Uh, but uh, like, like I said, great foundation from uh, Mickle and team. We're also investing maybe fourth in our brand a lot. Uh, Zendesk from an aided and unaided awareness perspective really punches above its weight in terms of brand. Uh, however, we haven't invested as much the last years in brand. And so we're starting to up our game uh, in the brand department. If you search on YouTube, we had a pretty cool uh, drone show uh, over uh, in San Francisco a couple of weeks ago. I didn't even know this was possible. We had 500 drones in the air talking about how break break free from um, some of the our competitors' uh, complex uh, customer service solutions uh, to Zendesk. Uh, and so we're trying to up our game from a brand perspective as well because we want everyone to know about Zendesk all over the world because we truly believe we can help them impact their customers, whether they're consumers or businesses uh, in delivering great customer experience. 
No, that's a very comprehensive answer, Tom. Tom, um, you know, we follow Salesforce also, and one of the things we have seen is, you know, it's got a great install base of customers, and, you know, time and time, they'll go out and find another product to sell into that install base. You know, your workforce management uh, product, you know, how does that tie into your current existing customer base, and does it help, you know, things like you know, average revenue for customer or attrition rate? You know what have uh, some of the things that you have seen? Yes, we 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 acquired TimeShift in June with the whole idea that the more that we can provide the end-to-end experience from our customers, whether that's um, you know our core ticketing message analytics uh, product, but adding a lot of uh, security and privacy, adding what we call Talk, our voice contact center, or through our partners, their con- voice contact center adding AI and then adding workforce management, it definitely increases our average revenue size uh, per customer. It increases our customer retention, both GRR and NRR. And you know, most importantly for us, it gives our customers a more unified experience. You know, I hear from our customers, whether they're small, medium, or large businesses, um, that they rather have fewer um, customer experience software platforms. And so we you know, have a strong point of view that the more that we can provide the end-to-end experience on all those, you know, what I'll call adjacencies from our core messaging, ticketing, analytics platform to workforce management, workforce optimization generally, voice contact center, um, that we can apply AI, privacy and security, bots, uh, and also in the employee experience space from that HR onboarding, IT use cases, um, you know, the more, the bigger uh, average, you know, customer size that we have, which is good for us and it's good for our customers and it's good for our employees and shareholders. Um, but also um, we're going to get more sticky with our customers because they can really unleash the true value of end-to-end Zendesk. And so we've seen a big uptick over the past three months, just using the example of TimeShift and WFM, uh, cross-selling that to our customers. And a lot of them are still, particularly in small and medium, they're using spreadsheets to manage uh, you know, their customer service agents. And so this is a big, a big transformation for them. Um, they're able to get the right people uh, at the right time available uh, to, bro- to provide to their customers. And so they're really appreciating us, you know, investing in some of these adjacencies to our core ticketing, messaging, digital channel analytics platform. Now, that's it's a you know, fairly um, um, easy way to understand how these products mesh well together. Let's jump into AI right now, because this is an area where uh, we are spending a fair amount of time with whoever we talk to. Um, Now, Your industry is one that I feel is going to be disrupted quite a bit from that. So, you know, for a lot of people who are looking at uh, this industry from a purely financial point of view, they would argue that if you deploy a lot of these AI agents that can do the work, then you may not need that many, you know, customer service reps uh, out there that would have an impact on your seat growth, um, et cetera, et cetera. So h- how do you fight back uh, to those uh, viewpoints of how this industry uh, is going to be helped by AI and not hurt by it? Yeah, I, you know, I think it's a great question. And we don't look at it as, you know, fighting back. We look at it as um, the, the industry definitely is going to change and evolve and be disrupted over the next five to 10 years Um my sense is it's gone slower the last six or 12 months than I would have accept, uh, expected. We're seeing huge AI adoption, but I thought it would be even bigger 
However, it might be slower at the beginning, but I think it's going to be enormous over the next five to 10 years. And we are more and more confident that to provide the best level of automation or AI, again, whether you're talking neural networks or you're talking large language models, uh, having a bunch of unstructured and structured data that can go inform those models is going to be the best. And we've got over 10 billion interactions, 10 billion tickets where we have that rated. It's, you know, that's uh, anonymized data, whether there's a good neutral or bad customer service experience on that ticket or that interaction. And we're using that structured and unstructured data to inform our algorithms uh, from an AI perspective to automate, you know, repetitive interactions more and more. And so, you know, we've got a kind of point of view that 15% of the world's commerce right now is e-commerce. You know, it's done online. 85% is still bricks and mortars in service. That's going to continue to go up every year. E-commerce is a percentage of overall um, overall commerce. That's going to drive a lot more interactions. You know, I'm old enough to remember when people thought, you know, people went to the bank. I used to go to the bank. Then you went to IVR, you know, um, voice response when you call your bank for a bank balance. Uh, and people thought that would decrease the amount of online interactions because you could go do a lot of things through an IVR or now a lot of things through online banking. But it spurned a lot of more, you know, complex use cases where people need to go uh, interact with a customer service agent or now with a, you know, a bot that's going to be able to solve their problems. And so I, I look at it as Zendesk wants to be a disruptor. We have some great assets. We have 100,000 plus customers. We have this tens of billions of interaction data that can help inform bots and other AI that's going to help agents when things do go to agents. And uh, we have a lot of CX expertise around how you should go, when and how you should have some customer service interactions for sure solved by bots and other automation. And some um, that should go to human beings. And so we look at it as an opportunity. Um, like I said before, we might be moving away, uh, like the industry, from a seat model to more of a resolved interaction model. Uh, but, you know, I'm confident that customer service is going to become more and more important. I hear a lot of um, from our customers uh, a couple of things. One is, um, yeah, I want to go provide those automated resolutions to the most common repetitive customer service inquiries you know, while providing a faster, better experience to cons con con consumers. And so, you know, bringing things like intent detection and generative AI into bots and automation, you know, we've already seen dramatically higher rates of automated resolution and increased satisfaction. Um, you know, that for sure changes the economics of customer service. But, um, you know, we think we can be a beneficiary of that, those changing economics, because we think, you know, having that end-to-end -end bots to human experience uh, we'll continue to differentiate us and we, uh, you know, we think our algorithms are the best in the business. So Tom, perhaps share some examples with us as to how the increased use of AI have enhanced the value that your customer gets, um, you know, in, in your product. Sure. I mean, we really, you know, custom, like customer service agents doing repetitive tasks um, on things that can be automated is not value for our customers or the consumers or businesses they serve. And so when we're seeing agents being able to free up, you know, we're seeing 
bots be able to provide automated res resolution to 10, 20, or 30% of interactions? That does a couple things. One, it frees up capacity for customer service agents to give better, more personalized experience on those complex interactions, or quite frankly, some people prefer human interaction still. So you, your high value customers, you can give more time, more thought. The second things, um, because they're not doing those repetitive tasks, they can you know, re uh, focus on those personalized, more important tasks. And we're giving them AI powered co-pilot tools that help agents get better, um, more efficient, more productive, and providing that human touch uh, that some interactions need. And then finally, um, you know, CX leaders, um, they're able to focus on, um, you know, what's important more from the data that they're seeing on these interactions and automatically suggest, you know, better um, customer experience operations and flows to drive faster response or higher satisfaction. Uh, but we're starting to see companies go beyond that. For instance, we can surface which products are responsible for the most service issues or lower customer satisfaction, you know, which can drive fundamental changes to the business. You know, I, um, one of our customers uh, implemented um, our bots and some of the analytics from our bots. And what they were finding out is um, through you know, sentiment and some uh, language detection that what they thought were pricing complaints for customers were actually, they were not understanding uh, in a country, the regulatory environment with regu regulatory taxes on their bills. So it wasn't a pricing issue, which what they thought before, they're kind of humans, you know, you know a customer service agent uh, logging something as, hey, this was a pricing issue when they do a post-customer disposition, it's called. Instead, what they found out by using AI, because they recorded uh, conversations, they analyzed emails, they analyzed tickets. It wasn't pricing, it was confusion about regulatory taxes. And so that fundamentally changed their views on how they were going to go price, how they could go solve those um, you know, customers' problems in an automatic way. And so you know, that, those are just some examples of we're seeing the power of AI you know, change companies how they perceive their customers' issues, how they solve those customers' issues, and how they uh, also empower their agents uh, if they're not able to solve those autom automatically. Are clients giving you a hard time about you know, accessing their proprietary data and you running them uh, through your models? Yeah, um, we're really focused on you know, trust, privacy, and security. Um, it is just absolutely core to what we do um, because... You know, we're involved with direct conversation between businesses and their customers. And we've always lived at this forefront of privacy and security shifts in the industry. You know, we've made a real big point to lead with a very strong posture on adopting the latest privacy and security standards. And with AI, it's no different. We plan to continue to lead the industry and help create, you know, the best practices and guidelines needed at the intersection of human and AI interactions. Um, you know, we really want to make sure that people can do things like bring their own keys and encrypt customer data, you know, uh, on, on um, you know, um, locally. Um, so we've done things like that. We have a lot of governance models. We spend a lot of time and money uh, on uh, security. And so we think privacy, security and trust absolutely always been the forefront because we are literally involved in billions of interactions uh, every week with our customers and uh, we need to hold ourselves and we need to hold them to the highest standards because uh, that's what you know the marketplace demands and that's the right thing to do from a consumer 
uh, and business perspective. Yeah, fair point. Uh, and uh, Tom, for my final question, um, you know, when we sit down a year from now and talk about Zendesk, you know, what are some of the key, uh, you know, highlights or milestones uh, you can talk about at that point? Another great question. Um, the, ho I'm hoping in a year from now, uh, there was some noise in 2022 about, um, you know, going, you know, public to private um, caused a little noise in the marketplace. You know, I'm hoping you uh, continue to believe and we have reinforced the messages. Number one, Zendesk is an innovative, disruptive brand that will continue to disrupt the customer experience industry with AI and with humans and has one of the best AI solutions out there. So we continue to invest in that. You see continued innovations coming from Zendesk uh, in the marketplace like we had this year. Um, we actually had over 200 features, products, platform launches this year, and we're going to up our innovation game and our, quite frankly, our M&A game. Um, third, that our customers continue to um, believe that we are increasing um, our customer support and treating them as customers first. And uh, they believe that we're providing a lot of customer and employee experience to them. Um, next, that you see uh, Zendesk as a brand for that employee experience as well. And um, that we're having some milestones that, um, you know, we are approaching uh, $2 billion uh, in ARR at the, uh, you know, end of 2024, the beginning of 2025. Um, and, you know, it's a, it's a financial milestone, uh, but it's also a milestone that reflects that we've got great customer satisfaction. Um, our employees are really engaged in driving CX expertise um, with the industry. And finally, that Zendesk continues to be a great place to work. Um, we have fantastic employees uh, that, you know, we invest a lot in their development. We're going to continue to invest a lot in the development that uh, Zendesk is a great, uh, you know, um, destination for employees around the world to develop their careers, to impact our customers uh, and to grow themselves professionally. Thanks, Tom, for your time. And we look forward to talking to you again a year from now. Thanks, Anurag. I really appreciate your time and look forward to uh, talking to you uh, in about a year as well.